Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new moon meditation here in our New York offices of the Lucis Trust. We're very grateful for your participation because as we work together, we create a group field through which hierarchical energies can flow. And so, as you know, most of you probably know, the theme of tonight's meeting is to free the prisoners of the planet, a rather esoteric theme, uh, one that we've all read about, but um, we don't always necessarily consider it always in our work. It's said to be one of the keynotes of the new group of world servers as a whole to free these prisoners. And so we're going to try and discuss it through a little bit of a different slant than we usually do in our meetings. We're going to, I'm just going to share a few brief stories that I thought illustrated what this phrase means and the experience that great our great life, our planetary logos has had in his working out of the plan for our planet. That's one of the stories. It illustrates the challenges involved in following our dharma, following our path into the light. And then the second story is a story from Plato's Republic called the cave analogy, or allegory, excuse me, the Plato's cave allegory. And that was highlighted by Eduardo Grimali in a recent Triangles webinar. And because of the story itself, which was created, I assume, by Plato in conjunction with Socrates, I thought it was so related to our theme that I would retell it in a simplified form tonight. So that's really the layout of... um, most of what I'm going to talk about tonight. And so as we do each week when we begin our meetings, we take a brief moment of silence to connect with all of us here on this webinar and the people here in our office, and also then to connect with the worldwide group of the new group of world servers, whose hands we serve to strengthen each month in these at this time of the new moon. And so because this particular theme um, found in primarily in one of the chapters of Treatise on White Magic, there's given a just a very brief phrase about what we are charged with as a group. And so before I go into the visualization, I just wanted to outline the preface of what the Tibetan gives in relationship to this brief visualization, and then we'll sound the mantra of the new group of world servers. He says that we're living in a time of extreme outer plane activity. It's like the physical, the etheric, the emotional, and the mental bodies of humanity, because of the situation globally, Um, exacerbated perhaps by technology, but also exacerbated by the fact that we're entering into a new age, a new ray makeup in our planetary life. And as a result, there's a need for humanity to adjust to these impouring energies. And so it's causing a real stimulation in the lower vehicles. And this, while powerfully um, evocative in many ways, can also be extremely challenging Because the Tibetan's trying to highlight that it can cut us off from our higher spiritual authority, from our soul connection. And so he's encouraging and warning us during this time of transition to take those steps that we can take as a group, as this group of new group of world servers, to subjectively link with one another. And he says that it's imperative that we do so. And if we don't, he says the result can be cataclysmic for our planet. Because he said, this is what happened. It's a higher turn of the pup spiral. 
to what happened in the Atlantean civilization, when again, misuse of technology, misuse of psychic powers led to the destruction. And so he warns that we must take that time. He says, this group stands as the door and that door into the inner planes must be kept open by this group. And so he just gives this very brief visualization and we'll just use it. And then we'll move into sounding the mantra, which you'll see on your screen. <clears throat> so let's just center ourselves as a group. Lifting our consciousness to the plane of mind. And visualizing our minds illumined by the light of the soul. And then we project a line of lighted energy towards the higher mind. He says we build a network, a bridge of light. And then we visualize a clear pool. And then the alignment extends to the temple of retreat. Holding that vertical alignment, we sound the mantra of the new group of world servers. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. So, as I said, I'm just going to share this brief story. I'm adapting it. It's just, a, it's shared in one of the books, I believe, Esoteric Psychology 1. I'm not sure, though. Um, it's a story, an allegorical tale, perhaps, but there's definitely a lot of truth underlying it. But the Tibetan had to encapsulate it in words. And so I'm going to share it. It's the story of many, many millions of years ago, 18 and a half million years ago, when the great life, our solar logos, our planetary watcher, was given the task by the great sun, the great king, the solar logos, to come and to inhabit this planet, which was dark and fertile land. And he, the our Logos gladly accepted the challenge, was very eager, we're told, to come to Earth and to do a noble work in lifting the planet into the light. But when he got to the planet, this is my interpretation, I believe that he projected his thought because these great lives can see much more fully encompassing the vision of what they're about to undertake then can we and i believe he projected his his thought and his inner life into a time in the distant future perhaps this time 
And he thought that he couldn't do it. And he thought he had made a terrible mistake in coming to this planet. And this task was not something that he was equipped for. And so he decided to return to the Logos, the sun, and told the great king that he, he had made a mistake and he couldn't face this this particular challenge. It wasn't He wasn't the right person for it. And we're told that the great king basically ignored him, didn't even pretend like he didn't hear him, gave no credence to what he was requesting. And so our Logos was somehow just left to make a decision. And it took some time, so I understand it. And then in those all those many years ago, he decided that he would try to undertake this supreme challenge for himself. And so he came back to our planet, even though it wasn't what he hoped for, it wasn't what he wanted, but he came back. And when he did, it says that out of the darkness of our world in which he found himself, there was a sound that broke through and a cry was heard and then many, many cries. These were the lives that cried out in their suffering and pain. They were seeking light, seeking release, seeking vision, and hope. And to this cry, the youth responded. So that's the little story. That's our logos. So it's very human in a way, you know, because I think we've all been in situations in our lives where we felt that what was being asked of us at that particular time, the challenges that we were confronting were too much, too much for us to undertake. And we wanted to go back to the comfort of a previous time in our lives. But the Logos found that wasn't possible. And that story reminded me of a brief um, essay that I recently read from a student who was asked about things she had learned in her life, crisis periods. And she shared that one of the most important lessons she learned in her life was from her grandmother who not only being a great example, she said her grandmother didn't speak much, but her grandmother shared with her the most important lesson that she wanted to teach her little granddaughter. And she said the most important lesson of her life was that you have to do the hardest thing in your life. You can't turn back from the difficulties in your life. And that this student then applied that throughout her long life and uh, she did many things that were very challenging. She had many difficult situations, but she always remembered what her grandmother said, and she pushed through all of those challenges and lived, has lived and continues to live a life of real service. So it's really a lesson we all have to learn, that the path to service, to fuller service in our lives is not an easy one. It's not the wide, easy path which many people pursue, and that's nothing wrong with that. It's not a judgment call. But this path, this particular path that we're on or attempting to place ourselves on, we have to go against the currents, against the grain. We have to confront the difficulties in our lives, not shirk them. And perhaps we're all learning on our little scale, what the Logos learned all those many 18 million years ago to face the challenges, no matter how difficult, and keep going forward. So then the other little story that I wanted to share, as I said, was Plato's cave allegory, because I think it particularly illustrates this idea of freeing the prisoners of the planet. So the scene is set by Plato of a deep cave, a deep, dark cave with a bunch of prisoners facing a wall. 
and they're chained among their hands, their feet, and their heads, so that all they can do when they're in this cave is look straight ahead at images that they see upon a wall, which is their reality. But in fact, those images are not real. They're, those are projections, because behind themselves is a fire, and in front of the fire are people walking back and forth with puppets. And the fire is illuminating on the wall these puppet figures. But unfortunately, the people in the cave, that's their reality, and that's all they see. And that's all they know. But one day, one of the prisoners, as they were called, was taken out of the cave and into the light. But when he went into the light, he was blinded by the light. It was so intense that he could not handle it. He could not see. And therefore, he decided, I'm going to go back into the cave. And so from the perspective of the ageless wisdom, this depicts the condition of life in the three worlds. This world, which is characterized by the great illusion, the Mahamaya of the Hindus. For the prisoners were in this world of false reality, but to them it appeared real because they have never seen anything else. They never glimpsed the higher light living as they do in the shadow land. But Plato imagined what would happen if one of these prisoners who had eventually released themselves came back to drag a prisoner by force up the rough ascent, the steep way and out into the light of the sun. Plato said the prisoner would be angry and in pain as the radiant light of the sun overwhelmed his eyes and blinded him. For if the prisoners were told when they entered into the light that this is the real world and that the life they'd been living in the cave is unreal, they wouldn't believe it. And in pain, they would turn and run away back into the cave. So accustomed were they to the darkness of the life in the cave. Here we see the challenges of all those who are seeking the light, the light in their lives. When they're confronted by that which challenges their worldview, all of us tend to fear change, fear leaving the comfort zone of that which is known. And we all too eagerly often run back into the shell of our previous existence. But eventually, through time, the pull of the light becomes stronger and timidly the prisoner ventures out again into the upper world, the world of light. He comes to see the reflections at first of people and things in water. And when the time comes, he begins eventually to see real people, not just their reflections. He sees things as they are. And eventually, the freed prisoners are able to look at the stars and the moon at night and come to see the sun itself. Only then is the prison prisoner able to reason what life is actually like. But gradually, said Plato, said that these freed prisoners would begin to think that the world outside the cave was superior to the world they experienced in the cave, and that the prisoners would attempt to share this with the prisoners remaining in the cave. They'd want to bring them out into the sunlight. But then, Plato said, another problem would arise, because when the prisoners go back into the cave to save the prisoners, they themselves are unable to see. In a sense, they become blinded by the darkness of the cave. Their eyes are no longer adjusted to the darkness. So they 
experience many challenges, they become blind. And then the prisoners in the cave see these individuals who are coming from a different reality, coming back into their old reality, and they're blinded. And so the prisoners say, I'm not going into that world. I don't want to be blinded here. I'm seeing reality. And Plato concludes that if the prisoners who had escaped were dragged back into the cave, that the people in the cave might try and kill them. That was the final reality that Plato con conceded because the people in the cave would not want to be taken out. They would want to remain there. And so we see here with this story, the challenges of freeing the imprisoned lives. But this is the Dharma of our planet Earth. This is the planet of releasing sorrow and purifying pain. And all the lives that tarry here must learn to grapple with the many challenges of this planet. So as we enter into the new age, we're charged, charged with finding new ways of working. We're told that as we enter into the Aquarian age, we have to move beyond the old methods because Aquarius is in completely new energy. Each new age brings in new energies. And so the Tibetan says that even his books, his teachings, all that he's embodied in words can become prison houses. And he says they are in fact prison houses. And so he says, as we move into the new age, we have to move beyond words. We have to move beyond books and we have to move beyond set forms. We have to learn to work in new ways that are in, in accordance with the new age in which is that we're moving into. And he says that means that we have to work telepathically and eventually intuitively and thereby enter into the world of ideas and know truth for ourselves, not through the mediation of any teacher as great as they might be. And then through these means, we become light bearers because that is the destiny of the human kingdom. We're destined not only as individuals to become light bearers and distribute light in our environment, but we're challenged as a group, as a new group of world servers to become a group light bearer. And then eventually down the road, humanity as a whole will become the planetary light bearer. So that's the task before us, that's the challenge, and hopefully um, we are able to meet it for our work together. So let's now work with our meditation, strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. So we come together in group fusion. I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me Lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the group of world servers. And we extend a line of lighted energy 
towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart center, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. Holding that alignment, we extend the bridge of light towards the highest center on the planet, the center where the will of God is known, Shambhala. Higher interlude. Hold the mind focused for a few moments on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression, and meditating the plan into existence. Meditation, reflecting on the seed thought through the impression and expression of certain great ideas, humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the group of world servers.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet, from Shambhala through the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world, and finally through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. Lower interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through the members of the group of world servers, so building the thought form of solution to world problems. Distribution, sounding the adapted great invocation from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds 
Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. So now we come to the portion of our meeting where we'd like to hear from you if you have any thoughts to share. And we can use as a guide, perhaps, the questions for reflection, which you see on your screen. So we could start with the first one, but feel free to respond in whatever way you wish. So the first question is, please share your understanding of this task of the new group of world service to free the prisoners of the planet? And what steps are you taking in your daily life and service to contribute to this effort? So if anyone would like to raise their hands or anyone here in the room would like to share a thought or two, or you can place a comment in the chat box, of course. Well, it's a challenging theme, perhaps, but essentially, in my understanding of freeing the prisoners of the planet, it's basically applying ourselves to the light and to finding the way through our spiritual practices and through our daily living to let in that light. And then, as I mentioned at the close of my presentation, that our task is to become light bearers. And so then if we become light bearers, we are essentially contributing to freeing the prisoners, prisoners of the planet through just being here and distributing light because the light can uplift all life forms. So really that's my understanding. Thanks, Kathy. I, thank you for your, your presentation and for the meditation as well. Um, just just to share an, another angle to look at the freeing the prisoners of the planet is, um, you know, not just other human beings, but there's actually 
all the other kingdoms in nature on our mm -hmm. planet, you know, the plant and animal kingdoms, um, the earth itself, but there's also what esotericism calls the elemental lives, which are involutionary lives, but they're actually the very atoms which make up all of our bodies and not just our physical bodies, but our, our emotional and our, our mental bodies as well. And so our responsibility, we also have as souls, because we are not our bodies, we are souls, but we have a responsibility to these lunar lives, which compose our, which compose our vehicles. And as we, as we raise our consciousness into the light of the soul, those many atoms, those many lesser lives are, are lifted up and redeemed as well. And so it's a it's a microcosm of what the logos himself is doing with all the human units within his body. We also do the same with all the atoms within so our body. Exactly, yeah. So um, to keep that in mind, even even like you know, it gives you a much greater sense of responsibility for your own. I think um, purity, purity of thought, purity of of the physical body, which sometimes we think maybe is less important than it is, simply because those, you know, we think maybe it's more of a selfish practice in a way, because we shouldn't be so concerned with our own our own purity. But in fact, that is a very important stage simply for that reason. You know, it's not really just ourselves. There's a whole host of, of lunar lives that are calling for our aid, yeah. you know? So just that itself is a service, in yeah. fact. Yeah, our whole theme, one of the themes of our planetary life is to redeem those lesser lives mm -hmm. and to bring forth, which is a really a theme of Virgo, is to bring forth, then as we have these prepared lower vehicles, to bring forth the inner light, which is the Christ life. That's the whole process. I mean, I, I, I as I've said many times, I believe our earth is one of the rulers of Virgo, even though it's not listed in the books. Um, because if you think about what's this purpose working out on our planet, it's so similar to what's working out through the constellation Virgo. So if you look at our Earth as a, a, a microcosm of that vast constellation alive, which is concerned with bringing forth the Christ life, I think our planetary life under the direction of the Christ is to speed up that evolutionary progression into the ability of the human being to touch into that Christ life. And we're, I think, becoming, we can become eventually a factory of, of enlightened souls on our planet. And then we can demonstrate that enlightenment for other planets, not only in our solar system, but in the Tibetan says, in the cosmos. I think what's going on here is a great experiment. And that's why our planet is going through so much chaos and suffering because it's an experiment in rapid evolutionary development, which has never really been undertaken in my understanding in our system. And so we're a model and we're being watched, hence the challenges on this planet. Brilliant. It's a big responsibility. <laughs> That's why our logos might have said, not sure I can handle this one. Does anybody have any? There's a hand raised, actually. Sarah, Sarah Murphy, I'll ask you to unmute. But there's a lot, actually. Thank you. It's so good to hear your voices, Kathy and Michael. Uh, and thank you for your good summary. And if you could pop a comment in the chat box about the reference to that first story you shared, Kathy, I would love to noodle on that a little bit more. I thought that the second part of question one about what steps are we taking in our daily lives and service to contribute to the effort was just something to kind of gnaw on a little bit um, that we're all having obviously our various exoteric fields of service but also everybody who's here, we're participating in to the best that we can in the group meditation, being here live with the group and many people who are not actually logged on, but meditating with us at the times of the full moon. And I think that it's important for us to always remember that this is, it's just such an interesting opportunity 
that we have to participate in this and something that's, um, I don't know, to, to not take too seriously, but to take very seriously. So I, I just am appreciating the group and thank you all for being here. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Is there another hand? Yes, sorry, Catherine Cruz. Hi, Catherine. Hi, hi, Kathy. Hi, Michael. I I just wanted to say, and then maybe this is more a, a response to the third question, but um, it's so helpful as we go through the work that is before us now to remember that the destruction is really beneficent destruction and um, that what is old really must be cleared out. And so we hold on to the light, as you said, that's available to us and just keep putting one foot in front of the other, um, knowing that we are involved in what we are involved in is, is an amazing an amazing time and certainly far beyond my ability to understand, but I can put one foot in front of the other and stay in the light to as much as I possibly can. I think that's what we all can do. Yeah, we're, we're, thank you, Catherine. We're, I think we're really fortunate to have the vision that the Tibetan has given us in the books because they say without vision, people perish. And I certainly can speak for myself, how difficult it would be to look at what's going on in the world today if we didn't have this more long-range perspective that the Tibetan gives to us. Um, and we understand, like you said, Catherine, this is a process. It's needed. It's clearing out the way towards something much better. So, yeah. Lois Eichelson? Lois. Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? Thank you. Yeah. Um, actually, I was going to say something very similar to the person who just spoke about these things have to go. They're sort of like castles burning um, to make way for new. But one of the things I've found with people I work with and, you know, we explore so many different aspects of the Tibetan and, and, um, there's a lot to understand behind it, which I know I do not understand. So what I say to myself is do the work that is, front of, is in front of me. But I pray, I know that what comes in front of me, I can tell. It's, that's what I'm supposed to do. So if one gets confused or... Stopped by not understanding what is behind everything. I just say, just do the work and it will be okay. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. We have one more hand. Uh, Maria Christina Donadue. Hi, Maria Christina. Hi, and thank you. And it's always wonderful to meet as group, as we develop group consciousness <laughs> and come together in radiance. I always recall the words of the Tibetan. Well, with everyday folks, it's, I love the words, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And when we can relate to that, then it's also, you know, releasing the prisoners of the planet is kind of inherent in that thought. Because as we experience life here, we are stimulating, as Michael alluded to, the many little lives that we have attracted to us physically, emotionally, mentally, that correspond and respond to the lower kingdoms. And as we align and enter into that 
higher frequencies, let us say, and re- that's that's the light. Spontaneous service is rendered through radiation if we can hold ourselves in the light, and then joy becomes the impulse behind the most um, appropriate kind of radiation, I guess, or radiance, or we become radioactive, (laughs) which is the highest expression of the mineral, even all the way down through our physical selves, our physical brains. So it's a lot of it, I think, is um, attitude, but altitude. And in the work that we're doing together, and that we strengthen increasingly as we work and into that field of unity, um, there's great beauty and joy to be found. So thank you. Awesome. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, everybody, um, really, really good words tonight. A lot of really good, interesting. Oh, sorry. A lot of good and interesting ideas and thoughts being shared tonight. Um, I guess the only thing I could add, really, would be, um, and I think other people have touched on various aspects of this, but as the new group of world servers, you know, our task is to create that synergetic group alignment with the will, with Shambhala. And it's through that power of the group mind and the group will, the group vision that we are helping to really um, bust through all this glamour and all of this confusion about what we're here to do and um, where we're headed with it. So, you know, tonight we're together because I I think we we intuitively sense that strength in numbers and we're trying to, you know, gather and lend ourselves to the work and create that synergy, that field together tonight. But this is a planetary effort as well. And so every day that we do our meditations or we join in the different group meditations that are available. And there are many groups besides ours doing this. We're just helping that process, helping to strengthen that and um, make that inevitable uh, future happen that much sooner. So thank you for, for being part of that tonight. Well, just to maybe say one more thing about the new group of world servers and this work of freeing the prisoners, it's also predicated on the ability to work in the interludes, which is another keynote of our groups. And so we're now preparing as we move towards the fall equinox period for an interlude in the cycles of the year, because um, we not only have these interludes in the monthly cycle, the new moon and the full moon are the interlude periods, five-day to seven-day periods, wherein the new group of world servers is charged with pausing as a group and therefore becoming receptive to the higher energies that can flow in. But likewise, on the annual cycle, we're now entering towards this lower interlude period in the spiritual year, the Libra, Scorpio, and Sagittarius full moon periods. So we're preparing for an interlude period. And we can always remember, at least this is one way I like to remember how to characterize these interlude periods this lower interlude in the cycles of the breath as is referred to as a time when there's an expression of love to all beings. 
So I think if we sometimes can just keep those that simple phrase in our mind as we go through this two to three month period of it's a time of simplicity and of grounding of the energies, but it's mostly the grounding of hierarchical energy in form, which is the releasing love through our groups. And so perhaps um, we can make an announcement for the upcoming meetings. So just to say the exact time of this new moon is tonight in a short period of time at 9.40 p.m. So if we can remember to link up during that time, that would be great. And then the next Libra full moon meditation meeting occurs on Thursday, September 28th, here in our offices at 6 p.m. or online. And then the Libra new moon meeting occurs on Friday, October 13th at 6 p.m. So why don't we just take a brief moment of pause to link up with the groups all over the world and visualize our planet as a sphere of lighted energy. Thank you.